Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. It's a special time. I, I, you, you have to lean in when God is speaking and when God is moving. I, I, I was reminded this week that if you are not prayerful, you may miss a defining moment because a preoccupation with this or with that, so important that we as people of God are, are in tune with what the Spirit of God is doing and what God is speaking in the seasons. The Bible says that the sons of Issachar, they understood and knew the season that they were in so they can instruct the people on how to live and how to move and what to do. And so I just want to encourage you, it's a, it's a season and a time to, to really lean in. And I believe that this year is going to be marked by growth. It's going to be marked by faith. It's going to be marked by maturity in our church. And so I just want to encourage you, press in, press in. And I, I know that can kind of sound churchy, especially if you're new to church. You're like, what does it mean to press in? Just lean in. Open up your heart to God. Open up your heart to everything that he has for you. Open your heart up to his word. Posture your heart to receive and be receptive and not defensive. But God is for you and God is pursuing you. And so, so, so lean in, lean in. We've been in a series entitled Outflow and this is gonna be the last part of our series. Today, we're gonna wrap it up. Proverbs 3, 23 has been our key verse. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. It's the outflow. You said you got to guard your heart of not only um, what you keep out, but what you put in. And today I want to speak to you around this idea of guard your heart. It is worth the wait. Guard your heart. It is worth the wait. Would you pray for, pray with, pray you could pray for me and with me. Lord, we thank you, God, that as we open up your word, speak to us today. God, I pray that every heart would be quickened by your word. Holy Spirit, that you would come and, Lord, where there's areas that are a little rocky and stony, would you soften them today? Lord, areas that have just become so familiar that we've just kind of treated them with contempt when it comes to you. This is what we do on a Sunday. We go to church and we go home, we eat lunch. And we, Lord, help us to know that you want to impart something to us today. Lord, give us the ability to lean in, eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say this morning. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Listen, welcome everybody tuning in online. I tell you, it's been an eventful month for me. Actually, already like like an eventful year in regards to, to being sick, I, I was, I've been sick three times in the last four weeks. And I know what you're thinking. You need to probably eat better. You need to take your vitamins. You need to do all this. So I don't need a lecture on a Sunday. I appreciate it. Um, taking note of all those things. But, but there is, there, there is it, it's weird. The, Paul said that even though my outer body is perishing, my inner man is being renewed day by day. I've never felt more alive spiritually in regards to what God is doing in my own personal life, just outside of our church, outside, just me and him. But, but this, this last week, I went to spend some time with some older 
some older pastors in their 70s. They're, they're no longer pastoring a church, but they wanted to grab a few of us young guys and, and pour into us. How many of you guys know it's important to have wisdom um, and the older saints pour into you? I, I'm just telling you, these men have finished well. They are still running their race, but they have no moral failures or discrepancies. And you want to lean into that when a lot of people today are falling by the wayside. And uh, so just got to sit at their feet for uh, a couple of days, really, really short. Flew out to Arizona and uh, it was just going to be Monday afternoon and then Tuesday uh, and then fly home Tuesday evening. But I woke up Tuesday morning and I woke up throwing up in the hotel, throwing up. Thought I had food poisoning. And in my mind, you ever just say, God, again? Like, really? Like, I just got over being sick again. And I'm in Arizona. I'm not even at home. I don't have anything in this hotel room. Like, I don't have Gatorade. I don't have Tums. I don't have anything. And uh, so you just kind of get that feeling. You wake up like, oh, man, this is, this is going to be rough. And so I, I head into the day and I start to realize quickly it's not food poisoning. I start to get body aches. The fever starts to creep in. I'm like, oh, Lord, really? So I'm going to tell you about my day in just a little bit. But, but that, that, that evening, we wrapped up at about 4.30. And, you know, I left some bandwidth for my flight. I didn't know if some people might want to, some of the guys I was with might want to get dinner. Um, you know, so I just kind of left a little bit of bandwidth. I thought my flight left at 9.50, but it actually departed. We boarded at 9.50. It was supposed to depart at 10.20. And so I'm at the airport at this time. I didn't want to go out to eat. I just went straight to the airport, and it's about 5 o'clock. So I have a long wait until my, until my flight leaves. And, and you have no place of comfort. Like they, they, back in the day, there used to not be handrails, so you can kind of lay down in the airport. You can't lay down in the airport anymore. And if you do, people think you're weird, and, you know, it, it's just it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. So I just remember I had one of the little airplane pillows and I just cuddled up and I looked at the clock. I'm like, 5.15, it's going to be a long night. And uh, so, you know, you're, you're just, you're doing your best. You're trying to find a, a place of comfort. It's, it's the worst thing to do is to wait when there's an area that's not well. Like it's one thing to wait when you feel good. It's another thing to wait when things are not feeling so good. I think some of us, we, we have been waiting a long time to see our family come to salvation. We've been praying for our family, extended family. Some of us have been waiting for a wayward child to come home. I've been praying a lot for wayward children. I feel like God is going to do a revival within our church with wayward kids. Been contending, standing, believing, and praying with you. So if you have a child that's wayward, just know you are being prayed for. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's interesting when we're waiting financially for God to, to come through, maybe a job change, maybe we're waiting in an illness. It's been a long period of time and we're waiting to recover. Maybe you're single. God, throw the singles in there and you're waiting. Like, Lord, let it be the season. Let it be the season. It's, it's hard to, to live in the weight, especially when we live in a culture that works really, really hard to eliminate the reality of waiting. Uh, like, like technology has not made it easier by making it easier when it comes to waiting. 
I mean, think about that. Many of us, we are accustomed to moving so fast because technology has allowed us to move, not to free up our bandwidth, just to move from one event to another event a lot faster than we used to. So now we need a coffee while we're waiting in line for our coffee. And you know what I mean. There's just that sense. I'm going to make coffee at home while I'm on my way to Starbucks. I'm going to wait in line with my coffee while I'm waiting for my coffee. Things when we don't wait, a lot of times end up not working so well. Right now, I just read an article came out. We have officially almost hit about a trillion dollars of credit card debt. Record-breaking credit card debt in America. I would say some of it's, yeah, inflation, but that just didn't pop up overnight. It's been a series of, of some people, yeah, they're, they're surviving, but a lot of people, it's just they're not waiting. Like, rather than saving for something, I'm going to just buy it. So $130 billion has been accumulated on credit card debt from December 21st to December 20, uh, December 1st, 2021 to December 1st, 2022, $130 billion. That was a lot of interest. Credit card companies are getting rich. But, but debt has accumulated. A lot of other things start to decline while we're waiting. Our health, disease, because we want to eat fast and I know, right? Want to eat fast. Don't want to take care of ourselves because we're on the move. We have so much to do and we wonder why, like, we're not doing good physically. Now, mind you, I have an autoimmune disease, so I'm a little bit different. Um, but but the, the premise stands. Some of us, we, we find our relationships are, are breaking a lot faster than they used to. Marriages and divorce, because we just don't have the time to wait, to work, to put in the effort, the time. We don't even have time to enjoy the journey anymore because we don't want to wait for the journey. We'd rather just not go on it if we have to wait for any amount of time. And so let me just ask you today, how is your waiting? How was your waiting? I think the waiting is hard because we wonder a couple of things. We wonder, God, are you working? And we wonder if it's worth it. God, are you working? And is it worth the wait? And so, so I, I want to take you back to the Jordan, the Jordan River we talked about at the end of my message last week. You know, as we look at the Old Testament today, 154 times, roughly, the Old Testament encourages us to wait. That's a lot of waiting. And last week, we, I gave you a little bit of context. I said, I, man, I believe that there are so many people, like the people of Israel, on the banks of the Jordan looking at their promised land. But the Jordan, like for the people of Israel, was in a flood stage, in a flood season. So it wasn't like we could just cross. It was, God, we need you to move. God, we need a miracle in this moment. And so, so just to give you a context of the people of Israel, they love to wait. And sometimes it was not because they really wanted to, and sometimes it was based on their own decisions, and they end up waiting a long period of time. They, for 400 years, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. That was not their doing. Now, you could point it back to the leaders before and disobedience and rebellion and things like that. But I'm just saying 
That wasn't a very exciting time to wait for God to deliver them. And then God sets them free. And because of their unbelief, they end up waiting in the desert for another 40 years. Like the promised land is at hand. The fruit is everything like God had said. But because of unbelief, they wandered and they waited for another 40 years until a generation passed away. Now Moses has died. Joshua has come into leadership. Uh, A new generation is getting ready to enter into the land. And here they are at the bank of the Jordan during flood season. And once again, three days of waiting and wondering like, God, are you at work? Like, what are you going to do? Is it going to be worth it? And so Joshua has the people, just to give you a context, he says, I want you to fix your eyes on the presence of God, on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, I'm going to show you a picture of that in just a minute. But the Ark of the Covenant is is where the presence of God dwelled. And so Joshua said, I want you to fix your eyes on the presence of God. And then he gave them instruction. The Lord gave them instruction to consecrate themselves, to set themselves apart, remove, get any sin out of your life, repent of it, turn from it. Anything that's distracting your focus from the presence of God, get it out, get it out, get it out. Get your eyes on him. And so this is what, this is like a life-size replica of the Ark of the Covenant. Beautiful, beautiful piece, beautiful replica But this is where the presence of God would dwell. And so he said, I want you to get your eyes fixed on my presence. Fix your eyes on that box. I want you to consecrate yourself, set yourselves apart, get rid of any sin and distraction. And then I want you to take the priest who carry the ark and I want them to do something very specific. I want them to step into the floodwaters with this heavy thing. Now, you got to understand from... Then until now, the Jordan River is a lot different. Now it is a main water source for several regions, so it has depleted substantially. It would have been a lot wider during the, the, the time where the Israelites were, were crossing. It would have been a lot deeper in some spaces. And so this kind of gives us a context. And the Lord said to Joshua, today will be, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Moses is gone You're the guy, let's go. So tell the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. It continues to say, as soon as the priest, this is in verse 13, as soon as the priest who carried the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. And so, You might be reading this, like I said last week, just kind of recapping a little bit, like, that's cool. The priests carry the presence of God. They go into the waters. Let the priests do it. That's what they should be doing. But I I reminded you that Peter now, in 1 Peter 2.9, says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, Peter is saying, listen, as followers of Jesus, we are now carriers of God's presence. So like nobody gets a pass. Everybody's called to step in. Everybody's called to step in to the river. And so, so they stepped and they stand with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, mind you, I said last week that a lot of times we don't go into water with something heavy. We're not like, hey, give me some rocks. I'm going to jump in the pool. 
So when you think about carrying this thing into the floodwaters, now mind you, when you step into these waters, you're not just like stepping in gradually, you're, you're kind of in. It's not really deep right off the bat, but, but you're in, you're in, you're in the water. And, and so, some of us, I, I think, it's not the issue of waiting, it's how do I stand in the wait? Like I know that I'm called, like it's so inspirational, step into the waters, step into the flood waters with the presence of God. But how do I stand in that when the water is, is not at ease, when it's rushing, when it's deep? I thought what a beautiful correlation, bless you, what a beautiful correlation as, as we look from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that as Peter is on the storm, in the storm on the Sea of Galilee that Jesus calls He's like, man, Lord, if that's you, if it's really you, everybody, they thought it was a ghost at first, but he's like, Lord, if that's you, tell me to get out of the boat. And as Jesus is walking on the water, he then looks at Peter and says, all right, Pete, let's go. Pete steps out of the water and, and the weight of God's word and presence allows Peter to walk upon the very thing that should engulf him. And now here, the weight that should cause them to sink is still the word of God and his presence that's actually gonna cause them to stand in the midst of the water. So the, the question is this, is how, how do I stand in the waiting? Is God working and will it be worth it? So I would say this, number one is in your waiting, God is not punishing you, but God is pursuing you. And this is, this is a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to wait. It's, it's another thing to wait with, well, let me say it this way. The difficulty of waiting determines who you're with and what you're holding on to. Like when you're with somebody you love, waiting can go by very quickly. When you're holding on to something that's strong, life-giving, man, it can go by pretty quickly. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, um, there was a time where Jackie and I, we were on our way to a conference in Bakersfield, we jumped on Highway 5, and I'll never forget this moment. It's imprinted in my mind for the longest time. We were driving down Highway 5, and to Bakersfield, it's, I don't know, it's like maybe three and a half, four-hour drive, something like that. And it just felt like the conversation was so good, and it went so fast because of who I was with, and we were holding a great conversation. But then on the way home, before we left, we got into a fight, and so I wasn't really uh, paying attention to who I was with. We didn't talk. And instead of uh, holding a conversation, I was holding on to a grudge. And the waiting, it seemed like it was a, for, a, a forever journey on the way home. I just could not believe. It was so long that it was even humorous. I was like, man, that felt like the longest trip on the planet. And so, so the waiting a lot of times determines on who you're with and what you're holding on to. And so the Lord didn't tell them to, to stand alone. He said, no, I want you to stand with me. I want you focused on me. Sometimes we think that waiting is God punishing us, but in reality, God is pursuing us. God is doing a work on the inside of us. So I wake up on Tuesday and I feel like I just want to go home. I'm sick, fever, throwing up body aches. And I just sense the Lord say, no, just, just wait. 
And so, you know, I show up, I let everybody know I'm sick. So I was like the leper, right? Sit at the, the end of the table. Nobody wants to be at that end. And uh, they prayed for me. And, and I, I, just, I just sat in that space. I, I, I was holding on. I just felt like the Lord said, just, just hold on a minute. And so from 8.30 to about 4.30, I sat. And it was so awesome because here these men are in their 70s. We don't have really a prescribed agenda except for a couple of questions that we brought to the table. And I'm just watching the fire in their eyes, tears streaming down their face as they're recalling the word of God. And it's, it's kind of cool because, you know, that movie Jesus Revolution just come out and, and these guys got saved during that time, sitting under Chuck Smith during that whole hour and just telling the stories. And in that moment, you're, I, I'm looking, and it's not just information. It's impartation. I'm like, you're still burning. You're come to tears because the fire and the passion of God's word is still alive. When they talk about the people that have come to Christ, they're weeping. And I'm like, it's, it is possible that the fire does not have to diminish, but it can, it can continue to grow. That flame can continue to grow even into our, our older age. And it was just, it was amazing. We prayed for one another. It was like a small group. And just all the stories of, of what God has done, it sparked so much faith of God. We know you want to do it again. We talked about the hardships of pastoring. We talked, it was just such a great day. And at, at the end of the day, we we're getting ready to go home. One of the guys, he, he's very scholarly. He's written several commentaries. He is uh, just, a, just a brilliant mind, loves the word of God. He said it was actually during the Jesus movement, sitting under Chuck Smith, that sparked a hunger for the word of God for him. He said that I would sit there and watch Chuck get up every single week to preach to all of these hippies, and he would just open up the Bible in John chapter 1 and just go. And he said, they, 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 they said as, as we were attending that church that this is probably going to be the weirdest church that has ever existed, but it turned out to be one of the most soundest churches because it was rooted in the scripture. God was moving in truth and power. It was just a beautiful thing. And so, so I sat there and I'm on my way home. I'm on my way to the airport and, and I'm just, I'm weak. I'm, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm sick. And before I left that 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 time together, I asked, I asked this gentleman, because he's, he's a Bible scholar, and so I, I said, hey, tell me about Romans 9. I want to hear your thoughts on it, and let me tell you why. I had a dream about two years ago, and I, I was standing up at a, uh, it's kind of funny, at a well-known Pentecostal church, right? And we talked last week about power, and we talked on this side, truth, and how we need to live in the tension of both. And so I had this dream that I was standing in a Pentecostal church, and I got, op I got up to, op to, to preach, and I opened up my Bible and my notes, and there was nothing. That's like the pastor's worst nightmare. Two things. You have a dream like you're naked, and you stand up on stage like, oh, my gosh. When you're about to preach, terrible dream. I've never had that, but other pastors have. Um, and then opening up and not having a sermon. And there's a plethora of people, and so I just remember I was turning. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, there's not even anything in the Bible. I can't, I'm, the pages are blank. My notes are blank. And then all of a sudden, I turned one more page, and it, Romans chapter 9 was the only chapter. And then I woke up. 
And so I just thought Romans 9 is a predominant passage that these guys over here on the doctrinal, you know, truth stance, they really are rooted in Romans chapter 9. And so I thought, oh, my goodness. Like, God, are you saying that, like, this is where you want me to lean as I'm preaching in a Pentecostal church? And so I've just been left with an open air. I don't know. I've been praying about the dream for like two years. So I asked him, and we, we just go into Romans. I've read it, Romans 9. I've read it a ton of times, over and over and over. Long story short, he just starts to tell me, hey, it's about God choosing his people, and yada, yada, yada. And I've, I, he, he didn't tell me anything that I didn't already know. I've been devouring that. But I was on my way to the airport, and it was like a revelation of God saying, no, 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 like, you're not seeing what I'm saying. It's not about you being in a Pentecostal church or it's not you being about over here. No, no, no. It's about you just need to understand that I chose you. That I know the plans that I have for you. I know the fruit that will come from your ministry. And if I've called you to live in the tension, that's where you're supposed. And it sounds so simple, but for me, it was so profound and so personal that God's like, it's not about them choosing you or them choosing you. It's about me choosing you. And, it, and um, I, I began to weep profusely. And I just knew like it was so personal, it was so intimate. It brought such a deep assurance and confidence in him, knowing that he has called me. And that would have not happened apart from that waiting. I mean, God could have done it a different way, but he chose to do it in the waiting. Not on the other side of the waiting, right dab set in the middle of waiting and the pain and the anguish and the, the sickness and just like, and God speaks so, and my body is so weak, I am extremely receptive. Because you know when you're weak, it's just, you don't really care about who's around, you don't really care about what people think, you don't really care about trivial things, you just, you know your body hurts. You don't feel good, but my spirit was so in tune. And God has been showing me a pattern over the last several weeks. And I began to fall in love with this passage that he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul was in a season of waiting for this affliction to be removed. And the Lord's like, you're going to be waiting for a while, Paul, because I'm not going to remove that. But he said, but... My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power would rest upon me. Sometimes we're so worried about gaining strength, but we have to remember that the kingdom operates differently. Now, my prayer is like, hey, God, could you like show me how to do this like through fasting and prayer and not getting sick? That, that would be great. But I'm just, God is just showing me this beautiful picture of weakness. And how God speaks in the midst of waiting. Not on the other side, but God wants to bring revelation of who he is and who he's called you to be right in the middle of your waiting. He said this, he said that when the priests come to the edge, and that word edge in the Hebrew means to the end, step into the waters. So just sense that the, the Lord is saying, listen, have you come to the end? And when you come to the end of yourself and you begin to step into the waters that he's calling you to, there is going to be a supernatural grace and power that will rest upon you because it's so much bigger than you. Can I just 
Listen, if you have been in church for any amount of time, don't dismiss what I'm saying right now. I'm telling you, when you come to the end of yourself, you will find life in a way that you've never experienced before. And so listen, if you are like distracted and religiously dry and just, just feeling like everything is more of a routine, you've got the smile, you've, you, you've got the, the language down, you've got the little success down. I'm just telling you in the midst of all that, if you don't come to the end of yourself that Christ can step in, you will never experience life to the fullest. And you will never experience all that God has for you. So can I just tell you, don't dismiss what I'm saying like you already know. Because if you knew something would move in your heart right now that would say, oh, yeah, yes and amen to that. Lean in, ladies and gentlemen. So, so, so these guys step into the water. God, God is, is pursuing you in your waiting. He's not punishing you. So they step in and what happens? Boom, the waters part. Bam. Amazing. That's not what happened. It's what happened for Moses. But that's not what happened for the priests. Number two, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. In your waiting, God's presence doesn't mean the same process. Just because God is with you doesn't mean he's going to operate the same way he does when he's with others. And that's why the danger of the comparison trap is so huge. You guys hear me quote this one all the time, but I think it's fair. Peter is getting ready to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, you're going to die for me. Peter's first response is, okay, what about John? What's his fate? Is he going to die too? And the Lord said, it really doesn't matter what happens to him. You follow me. And so for the priests, when they step in, it was different. They stepped into what appeared to nothing happening. It's like they get in, they're like, all right, came to the end, stepped in, getting beat up by the current. And then what happens is the water gets dammed up about 18 miles upstream. God cuts the waters off. If the water was traveling at about 10 to 15 miles an hour, it would have took about 10 minutes before they even felt any type of shift. And so you can imagine the priests are stepping in. They're like, man, God is with us. I'm in this. Okay, Josh, like, what's going on? We're in it. Where's the... Where's the grandiose moment, Josh? I mean, priests are like in a little small group. They're probably like, yeah, Josh might get fired after this one. Not really sure if he's the guy. It's supposed to be a demonstration that God is with you. Not really sure if that's working. Are, are you sure? How many times we open up our Bibles for a moment? We spend a moment in prayer and fasting and we're like, where are you at? Where's, where, where's, where's the moment? Must not be working. So I'm not sure if it's worth the wait. We just give up so fast. It's like we fasted and prayed one time. Open up our Bible for like the first time in months. And we're just like, where you at? It's like, dude, I'm right. I'm here. I've been here. Where are you at? And we just, we give up so quick. We just started working on the relationship. No change. Just, God's not working. I'm not sure if it's worth the wait. And then we find ourselves, maybe it's been a long season. 
and you're like, I've been doing all the right stuff. Pastor Matt, it's been a lot more than a day. It's been like five years, maybe 10. It's like, I'm doing everything that you said. I've stepped in. My eyes are on you. It's amazing because in your waiting, God's presence does not always mean the same process. And so it's easy to look at and say, God, they, they've been doing it for like six months. And they're already like, you're, I already see you at work in their life. There's times when God moves suddenly and there's times where God calls us to persevere in his presence. But many of us, we quit way too fast to even see any transformation. And I think in our day, God is working a perseverance on the inside of us because I think we're going to need it. We're going to need to know how to wait well. I love Eugene Peterson quoting Frederick Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche said, he said, the essential thing in heaven and on earth is this, is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. Eugene Peterson kind of flipped that. He said, what is discipleship? He said, discipleship is long obedience in the same direction for a long period of time. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, your, your waiting will be a road to either faith and maturity or discouragement and entitlement. James chapter one says it this way. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish. We don't like to let perseverance finish, me included. I am not preaching at you. I am preaching with you. Perseverance is not like my favorite cup of tea. Hey, what do you want to do today? Persevere. It's not the most exciting because normally it means I don't want to be where I'm at. I don't want to be here. I want to be there. But in order to get there, I'm in a season of waiting. And so it says, let it have its perfect work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It literally means completion by fulfilling the necessary process. God's presence with you doesn't always mean the same process, but it does equal the same result is God is pursuing you. God is working in you. God is at work. So what am I saying? It's worth the wait. But the enemy would love to come in and bring discouragement and entitlement. Remember Matthew chapter four, he shows up on the scene. Jesus is in the wilderness of waiting. He's fasting, he's praying, and he's waiting. He's fasting and he's praying in submission to the Father, and he's waiting for the season to pass. And the enemy shows up and he says, hey, since you're the son of God, that's how the original wording is in the Greek, why don't you turn this stone into bread? And we see this temptation of the, the lust of the flesh the quick fix. Like, come on, if your father was so good, why would he have you out here in this desert? It's not worth the wait. Just, just take the shortcut. Like, you know you got the power to do something. Who cares what he says? Just do what you do. The lust of the flesh. Shortcut. Then he takes him to the highest point of the temple, and he says, hey, you remember what the scripture says? The enemy will take scripture and twist it. He says, you could throw yourself off, off the temple, as according to the Psalms, and he'll send your, his angels concerning you. So now we see the lust of the flesh, and now we see temptation with the pride of life. And he's like, dude, do you know what kind of a spectacle it will be? You'll have a huge following. You don't have to wait here. You don't have to wait in the wilderness. Just do what you do. 
And then he takes him and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And really what he says here is, listen, I can make you way more comfortable than that cross sounds. Just bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Like Knowing that, yeah, he's been given a measure of authority, but they still already belong to him. Just everything is rooted in deception. But he says, why don't you see the lust of the eyes? You see all this? You don't need the cross. You need comfort. Just take the shortcut. It's not worth the wait. And so we see what happens. Jesus is like, he counteracts every single one with the truth of God's word. That's why if you are not rooted in the word of God, it's going to be so hard to stand. And then what happens? He leaves the time of waiting in power and miracles, signs, and wonders follow that waiting. But then you have King Saul was a a little bit different. King Saul The Philistines were getting ready to attack, and it says that Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops were with him, quaking with fear. He waited seven days in the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. So God told Saul very clearly, hey, Through the prophet Samuel, don't leave this place until I come. Don't move. Saul couldn't wait. He saw his men beginning to scatter. Philistines were getting ready to hone in. And so he just became what? A little discouraged and entitled, took things into his own hands, and he pushed it. And, and it's interesting because most scholars believe that Samuel did arrive on the seventh day. He just did. It's, it's almost like it's 6 a.m. He's not here. Give me the stuff. And, and it doesn't look like he did anything wrong except what Saul did was he was a king and not a priest. And he tried to do priestly duties as a king apart from Samuel. And God said, bro, you missed it. You met, you pushed it. How many times in the waiting we want to just take the king's, we want to take, yeah, so we're priests. And Revelation said we're priests and kings. But how many times in our waiting when God says something, we want to take things into our own hands and just say, but. And that's exactly what he did. He says, what have you done, Samuel asked. Saul replied, when I saw that men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought. The enemy would love for you to think in the waiting. What are you saying, Pastor Matt? I don't use my brain. No, 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 no. I'm saying you need to let your thoughts be submitted to the truth of God's word. He thought to himself. Now the Philistines will come down against me and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. So fear sets in and he says, I thought instead of he said. That's what it should have been. It should have been the same moment Fear's creeping in. Let's take the shortcut. I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want the Philistines to overwhelm me. So rather than, no, 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 this is what he said. He gave in to, no, this is what I think. And so what happened is, can I just tell you, discouragement will have you thinking deceptive thoughts. Because he's like, 
I need favor with God. And so you think you're going to favor your own way and not, what he's, not based on his way and what he said? Can I just tell you, just because God's presence is with you, the process is not always the same. And he starts creating his own process. And now what ends up happening, he's driven by fear and compulsion rather than led by the spirit and truth. Can I just tell you, never make an important decision when you're discouraged, when you're fearful. Never make an important decision when you're discouraged. Move by circumstances, not relying on the Holy Spirit. Move by religious rituals, his way. I thought, man, I'm, this is how I'm going to get God's favor. God, look at what I'm doing. Look what I did. God's like, yeah, but you're not listening to what I'm saying. Like you're creating your own process. You're trusting your works and not mine. Come on, we've all been there. But this is the devastating part. He said, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you would have, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. And he said, God's going to give it to a man after his own heart, King David. I want you to look at the gravity of this. I don't want it to produce conviction or guilt or condemnation, but, but let this convict you to the core that God is not just simply looking for activity, but obedience in our waiting. Because sometimes we live by our own process and we call it obedience. And then we wonder why it's not working and we're losing and it's not lasting. Because it's, it's about what he says. Are you guys tracking with me on this? And so he was so close, so close, just like an hour away. Oh, just an hour away. And God says, yeah, there's consequences. And so if you're like, oh, my goodness, what if I've blown it like this? Can I just tell you the, the beautiful thing is this, just repent. And God tells you what he wants afterwards. He says, I want a man or a woman after my own heart. Just repent and get back to his heart. That's it. Just repent and get back to his heart. They're at the Jordan, and God says, listen, I want to do a miracle, not just on the outside, Josh, but on the inside of all of you, the priest and the people. It's worth the wait. Research shows that we live in a time where we struggle so much with patience, we are no longer in the future going to be able to do research on patience because we don't have the patience to do the research. It's true. And so, so when I heard that, again, it just, it, it's, when I look at this, it strikes me to the core because my fear is this, a non-waiting life or church will be little faith, which will equal little perseverance, little maturity, which will have little direction and then little strength. Because last time I checked, the prophet Isaiah said, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And, and God, is, God is doing something. I just think sometimes we need to go back and remember history and the scriptures. That God has never forgot his people. When you look at history and you look at the scriptures, God has never forgot his people. God will never forget his people. He's not going to start forgetting his people. And he's definitely not going to start with you. You're going to see one thing throughout history and the scriptures is God is faithful to come through for his people. 
But if we could just love and trust the process while we're waiting on the promise, I believe there will be a shift on the inside of us. If we can go from God has forgotten me to no, no, God is preparing me, it'll totally change the game. So what am I saying? Luis, you can jump in with me. I'm gonna jump to, the last thing is this, is in your waiting, don't forget about serving. This is probably one of the hardest parts. He's, the priests wanted to get through too. They've been waiting a long time. But they had to wait for everybody to pass through. I mean, could you imagine that? It's a little small group of priests out there and they're like, man, you see that, James? See that, Nikki? See that, Chris? There's about a million left. It's going to be a long day. Can I, can I tell you that the priests, they, they, were, they were waiting, but they weren't stagnant. They were standing, but they weren't stuck. It was so much bigger than them. Remember what the Lord said. The Lord said, listen, this is what the Lord said to the people. Come here, listen to the words of the Lord. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, that he will certainly drive out all of your enemies from the promised land that you're about to enter. And he lists them, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perzites, the Gershites. And I just want you to say, I want you to picture your enemies because you may be on the brinks of your, of your promised land. And that not, may not be tangibly, but spiritually. Or spiritually, that will also manifest tangibly. But he says, this is how you're going to know. He says, see the ark. See the ark. You see my presence. The covenant of the Lord, the promise, the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. See, as you and I are people of God, priests carrying the presence of God. Can I just tell you, there's a world that is watching our weight. And it's as we begin to step into those waters, there's a lot of people that need to see, oh, God can go before me, just like he has for you. God can dam up those waters for me, just like he did for you. God can move. God can come through for me. People are watching our way. How are you waiting? Who are you with and what are you holding on to? That's going to determine whether you enjoy the journey or not. But it said the priest carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stepped into the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. As we stand together in the end times, can I just tell you the current's going to be strong. It's going to get harder and not always easier. We'll have seasons, but it's not going to be easy to stand and lift him up. There's going to be moments you want to cast off the presence of God and you just want to run and get yourself through. Try to find an out. Instead of being with him and holding on to him, you're going to want to be with something else and hold on to other things. Just, just trying to get some relief and some reprieve. But can I just say there, there are too many people that need to get through for us to, to not be able to stand. And so in our waiting, it's hard, especially when you've been waiting a long time. It's hard to want to serve other people. But I think it's one of the secrets to waiting. 
is that in the midst of our waiting, God, you said in your kingdom, it's a little bit different than the world. That the last will be first and the first will be last. It's kind of upside down, but it's who you call us to be. It's a little different than the world operates, but it's worth the wait. As you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these older pastors, just think about, man, I remember him, I remember her, I remember where they were, and, I, and now they're pastoring. And, you know, lawyers and serving Jesus and in the marketplace and God is using them and, and just full of tears. Why? Because they're just standing in their own personal waiting. And what makes it, what, what causes us, I think, to, to serve while we wait is to see how Jesus served us. It all comes back to the gospel. It all comes back to the cross. Is that Jesus as our high priest stepping into the floodwaters of our sin. Like brutalized. Waiting. Suffering. Because they're worth it. Like it wasn't just a, 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 a few brief moments were hours on the cross so we could pass through. He would take our sin. He would give us his righteousness so we can't brag or boast except anything but the cross because he waited on us. If we can get his presence and that beautiful reality of the cross out before us, it, it will change how you wait. It'll change how you wait. There are too many people that need to get through and you say, well, how come Jesus hasn't come back yet? You know what? He's waiting because he doesn't want anybody to perish. It's like, Father, is it time now? It's like, there's still more. So if we can just stand as a church in the waters of difficulty, carrying the presence of God, with God holding on to him, dude, so many people are going to be like, oh, it's for me too. It's for me Oh. If God could do it for you, if God. We stand to your feet. Lord, we just thank you, God. Thank you for pursuing us in our waiting. God, I know that some, Lord, it's, it's a whole lot easier preached than lived as they're standing in the waiting. But I thank you, God, that you are, just as you damned up the wrath of God, so we wouldn't be swept by it. You took it upon yourself. You absorbed it. God, I pray that it would produce a fresh gratitude in our hearts, God. Not entitlement, but maturity. Not discouragement, but faith. And to give us the courage, God, to know that every environment we step into, there's a flood somewhere. You've called us to carry your presence, to help people get through. But in order to do that, God, you just have to really penetrate our hearts. It's something that only you can do. So would you just do something deep in us, Lord? Pray we stop giving in to the enemy's lies and deception. Stop taking shortcuts. Lord, you just don't want to. I just really sense, you know, for some of you today, it's, 
You've just been waiting for the results. Start seeking revelation. Because God wants to give you something in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your waiting, in the midst of the process. Don't just look for the other side. The process is beautiful. It's hard sometimes, but it's, it's beautiful. God, I pray that you'd give a greater revelation of who you are. Even the simplicity of the truth of the gospel, Lord. Hey, Lord, you just revealed in a fresh way that you chose me. It's something that as a pastor, I know. Oh, but when it comes from you in a moment of intimacy, it's personal. It's not just a corporate knowledge that I know. It's, no, you chose me. And you are no respecter of people. So I pray, Lord, in the days ahead that we wouldn't just seek results, God, but we would more so get our eyes fixed upon you and ask for a greater revelation of you, a greater revelation of who you've called us to be and how you see us, God, that we would stop comparing our processes to other people's processes, that we would just get our eyes on you. So maybe you're here today and you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to go all in today. And our team's gonna be down here at the altar. We'd love to pray with you and for you. If you need prayer for anything, I declare over our church, I was in the back both services and I just declared like, God, our church is gonna be marked by praise. Our church is gonna be marked by a hunger that is unquenchable, a hunger that continues to grow. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. I believe that God is bringing a time where I'm not gonna have to ask you to lift up your hands because you're just gonna wanna reach. And even if you're an introvert, there's gonna be a new expression on the inside of you because it's coming from an overflow, not obligation, not forceful. It's just the goodness of God. It's like, man, not weird, just real, real. God, seal this time in our hearts. May we respond to you today in whatever way that you are calling us. So I want you to leave here with this question. Just ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to receive today? What do you want me to receive from this today? Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.